Welcome to the Migration 2.0 podcast. My name is Rishabh Sanjali from Project Phoenix, and I'm hosting today's show without my regular companion, Hubert Faustmann, the director of the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung office in Cyprus. Uh, this podcast is a collaboration between FES and Cyprus and Project Phoenix. Project Phoenix is a migrant-led European NGO and social enterprise dedicated to systemic change of the inclusion ecosystem. In this show, we explore issues related to migration through multiple lenses by amplifying migrant voices and shedding light on migration issues. We hope to promote inclusion, highlight the diversity of migrant experiences, and humanize migrants by including and centralizing their voices in the discourse. We'll be speaking to Professor Nikos Dimitriniotis, who is Professor of Sociology, Social Sciences and Law at the University of Nicosia, and a leading academic who focuses on migration in Cyprus. He heads the Cyprus team for the Fundamental Rights Agency of the EU and is a practicing barrister. He also researches on issues of integration, citizenship, education, racism, the free movement of workers, EU law, discrimination, and constitutional and labor law. Nikos is also the author of a forthcoming FES report together with Corina Demitriou entitled Cyprus, Asylum and Migration in the Age of the COVID-19 Pandemic. This report details and provides an overview of how the migration and asylum situation has changed in Cyprus over the last 18 months of the pandemic. And as things look like, it doesn't seem to be changing for the better. Let's begin with a little bit of background. Can you tell us from, from a numbers and legal perspective, how has the asylum and migration situation in Cyprus changed over the past 18 months? What kinds of trends are we seeing? And perhaps it would be good to comment about what has really changed uh, since the last report you wrote uh, came out just before the COVID pandemic. Yes, thank you for the invitation. Um, we, was, uh, we were fortunate enough to present the last report uh, just before the, the pandemic and um, monitoring how the situation has changed since then is, is an important comparison that allows us to think back. Um, I think if we look at the situation back just before the closures of the, the pandemic, uh, we could say that um, at that time, we reported the shifting towards a more restrictive approach. So back then, it was more like a rhetoric rather than actual policy on the ground, but it was beginning to be shifting. Um, so it was a, a tough talk kind of thing, uh, but um, and it generated a hostile environment, and of course it endowed the kind of xenophobic and right-wing groups to speak more loudly and with more confidence. At that time, uh, we had a number of reports that showed that uh, Cypriots, at least on the, the Greek Cypriots, are, well, as far as the Greek Cypriots are concerned, have been more becoming more positive towards asylum seekers. Um, research had shown that uh, they saw, they began to empathize and understand what was going on. And, and this, this kind of, this was a shift in, in a positive direction. When there was a shift in a positive direction, the government decided to shift this discourse uh, against, um, uh, in the opposite direction. Now, it's interesting that um, I've been, I've recently found out uh, that uh, what is happening uh, at that time, the government thought that there's big uh, political capital to be made out of um, out of uh, making the migration issue. The government, uh, don't forget, that was it was suffering and is suffering much more from uh, corruption uh, allegations, 
um, issues relating to uh, different ministers not delivering in their policies. So the shift in the discourse was all an important aspect in that. But however, you, you could say that on the ground there was also something else happening. There has been, since uh, the second half of 2019, a kind of a, a militarization and racialization of of um, um, of of the checkpoints and borders. Uh, in Nicosia, there was for the first time we saw uh, people, um, uh, soldiers together with police officers going around with guns, something we're not used to in Cyprus. Um, so there's an increasing, there was an increasing uh, climate of, of kind of a negative climate there and picking on migrants and, and that sort of thing. But at that time, um, so, so we saw that happening at the same, at that time. Um, but uh, what, what has, seen, has happened since is a, is a deterioration big time. What, and what I'm talking about is that if we look at the, the last 18, the, the 18 months that followed, we could so say that um, following the, the, the closure of the checkpoints, which was, by the way, uh, they had to close some of the checkpoints before even the first incident arrived, when all their puts were, were open. Um, we are facing now a series with a serious challenges. What has happened since is, first of all, routine pushbacks. Pushbacks are um, a policy that's taking place, uh, and despite the outrage shown by many, many NGOs, civil society groups, human rights uh, supporters, it has become um, routine uh, and, and enjoys media support. Um, to the extent that the United Nations has issued a report on Cyprus and the EU has shown concern on the subject. What we saw also during this period of time, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, was a kind of the, the en masse incarceration, incarceration of, of, of asylum seekers and refugees, uh, including those temporarily housed in infamous cheap hotels. So they moved them and put them in, 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 in temporary camps which were designed uh, to keep you for 72 hours. So people were stuck there in this situation, um, and, and um, it, the result was a massive and dangerous overcrowding. Um, um, we could say that uh, one of the issues that w- w- happened there, uh, there were very, a lot of concerns about the overcrowding, but also there have been reports by the UNHCR about sexual abuse of minors within the camps themselves, there had been rioting uh, in the camps, and there was an attempt by the minister to um, extend detention uh, by issuing a decree using the scapees as as a a reason for it. It was just an excuse to keep them um, incarcerated as much as possible. Um, However, as a result of pressure from outside, you, uh, UN, etc. Um, they, 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 many people will have been released, but they were released where? They're released out in the open without any support, any housing whatsoever. So the result had been mass, unprecedented poverty, uh, desperation, and marginalization of, of 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 migrants. We also saw um, over the during the COVID times um, exposure to all sorts of discriminatory controls. Of uh, of migrants and asylum seekers, and super exploitation of those working uh, in conditions of the, of the basic services. 
that was the other major issue that was noted uh, with cases of, of which amount to kind of labor trafficking uh, as a result of that. Now, what to, what is, what is available? What we see here, which is a continuation from the previous period, but in a much more desperate situation as far as refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants, is the complete absence of of integration since 2012. The policy of integration finished then, and and there has been talk about a new integration plan, uh, which was presented uh, recently. But I am told that uh, this has not been accepted by the ministry. So we have a situation where uh, the, the whole reasoning behind uh, integration policy is just to pretend that they have some sort of measures mm-hmm. to absorb EU funds, but not actually doing anything about it. So we have a big gap between what is actually happening on the ground and the needs of the economy, which is uh, migrant labor, poor migrant labor labor to be exploited, uh, and the absence of a genuine program of integration via the use of different instruments, such as the long-term residence, family reunification, anything that resembles rights for these uh, people. So these are the key issues, together with the massive rise of um, anti-immigrant uh, and far-right, uh, which is now represented in Parliament um, and um, and has... the um, enjoys also uh, recognition by the media. Uh, I must say one, I can have to add one more thing here, which is that this is not the whole society shifting in this direction. These are the institutions of power, because what I can say is that we have seen a new resistance and resilience uh, from uh, and a much more confident and bolded civil society through um, their actions on, 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 on a daily, on a daily, or on the ground. Thank you for that summary, Nico. It is indeed worrying in terms of what's happening on the ground here. Um, you raised that very interesting point about uh, xenophobic rhetoric and what's happening with far-right parties uh, in the parliament. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So what has happened in terms of rhetoric? Uh, is this a general uh, a trend we're seeing across society or has there been some opposition to this as well? I think what we're witnessing is is a polarization of society. I think we have uh, a situation where uh, the institutions um, of governance uh, are shifting to become much more conservative, negative, xenophobic and 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 uh, and racist many times. <coughs> Whilst uh, what is going on in society is is a, a polarization, a mass polarization. We're living in what <clears throat> I think is an era of dissensus rather than consensus, uh, with basically a fundamental disagreement about how to how to deal with key issues. And the, it's a key issue of democracy here, as far as I'm concerned. If we see this as a long-term process whereby society had been moving, not just Cypriot society, if we take it at a global level. <clears throat> and this has been a process of inclusion of people who had been included because basically they were disenfranchised before and they were including rights, in, in providing rights. We are now at the phase, at the stage, where those excluded are the migrants, the asylum seekers, the refugees. And we are living at the time in which we're either going to include these people in the democratic processes by opening up 
by finding regional solutions, solutions, by thinking about democratic processes whereby welfare rights and benefits are shared, or we're going to go backwards, as it were, because uh, with the way the world is moving and the, ma- the global mobility, um, we are going to find people who are completely excluded, disenfranchised, expelled, and and face all the negative uh, consequences of that, many times leading to their deaths. We had, uh, over the past years, we had uh, massive numbers of people drowning. They reported, and this is underreported, people who drowned in the Mediterranean Sea are 22,748 persons up to 2021. I say this figure, but it could be double as much in terms of how many people have died, have, have actually perished in the Mediterranean. So we have a situation which uh, um, there, there was initially sensitivity and outrage, uh, but it was soon displaced by fear, moral panic and resentment towards refugees who were increasingly treated as unwelcome immigrants, not as asylum seekers. And this is, what, this is how we're being treated as illegal immigrants. Now, Cyprus, just before um, the COVID situation, I mean, the, the ministry and the government was talking about, and also internationally, I mean, I saw, I saw a report in the New York Times reporting that Cyprus maybe is a new gateway towards the EU after Turkey closed its border, after the northern part, northern neighbors of Greece closed it. Uh, what I found in, in my report then is that Cyprus is not a gateway because Cyprus is so far out and migrants and refugees know that this is the case. Although we have found people who said that they were brought, they were dropped here saying, oh, you're in Italy now. But this is, this is more like the, 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 the exception rather than the rule. Now, in the, the situation since COVID is that we have um, processes in society with the support of government. And it's very important to bear this in mind because if these right-wing groups and right-wing ideas which, uh, which preach hatred and, and xenophobic do not have government or power support out there, even tacit support, but in most cases, open support, because we have you know, the, the most extreme minister of, of, of interior ever. We have someone who's, who's fond of Salvini and, and wants to compare himself to Salvini. But it's not just him. We have um, a broader consensus within the governing party, which is facing a major crisis, to you and want to instrumentally use anti-immigration and xenophobic discourse for their own purposes. But this, of course, is giving all the space for the far right, the, the sister party or the brother party, whatever, the Golden Dawn mm. in Cyprus, but to use that. But also other groups which are, are using these sort of ideas. I say this when there is for the first time, I see massive opposition. We had massive demonstrations supporting migrants, breaching the illegal, as far as I'm concerned, and unconstitutional um, decrees which ban um, uh, the possibility of demonstrations in support of migrants and asylum seekers. We are seeing um, acts of solidarity, acts of citizenship, uh, whereby by ordinary citizens, when the state is failing or just simply refusing to support uh, uh, all these people who are facing and have been facing 
for during the times of the pandemic, uh, a humanitarian crisis. You know, people, uh, women who wanted um, um, basic things for their children, um, migrant women and, and refugees uh, who who are, who are in destitute. So what I'm trying to say here is that for the first time, we are seeing in Cyprus a mass demonstration of support, but at the same time, uh, this is, is colliding, is conflicting with um, the, the kind of xenophobic atmosphere that's being created by uh, the government and by the media, which is more or less uh, um, towing the line of the government. Very interesting point that you raised there um, in terms of society, you know, quite literally being at a crossroads, um, whether this migration narrative fits into the larger issues that the Pacific government is facing uh, through the Pandora Papers and the old Jazeera exposés and how these all tie in together. Uh, on that note, you're a constitutional um, and EU lawyer. Surely what we're seeing with the boat pushbacks is illegal. Um, the fact that the ROC government is encouraging people not to file cases and you know withdraw their applications and move out. Uh, what can be done here? Is there a legal risk, recourse we can we can use here? What's going on in terms of how to address this issue uh, of boat pushbacks, especially uh, with the rising number of deaths that we're seeing as a result of these pushbacks? The pushbacks are a serious violation of two principles. The first principle is the, the, the violation of the non-refoulement, which basically means that we, that states must provide protection for all those who are likely to be threatened with persecutions for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or belonging to such groups. And it, pro- it prohibits ter- states from returning anyone who is likely to face torture, inhuman, or degrading treatment. Now, this is a very, very broad definition and re- responsibility of the state, of the non-reformal principle. Uh, and the second is rescue at sea. When someone is at sea on, on boats which are not seaworthy often, uh, the states have responsibility to rescue them. That's the law of the sea, which uh, the Republic of Cyprus regularly invokes uh, in order to uh, point the finger at Turkey, which is violating uh, the, the law of the sea by not recognizing um, the EZ, the European Economic uh, Zone. So in this situation, we have now um, a, a very important point of, the, of departure in that um, when uh, other countries like Greece, Italy, and Malta uh, are using such uh, methods, uh, the Human Rights Committee for the first time has very, very clearly stated in those two instances of Italy and Malta, that uh, there is uh, what we call a jurisdictional nexus between persons in distress, which are who are the asylum seekers in boats, who are the uh, right holders, and states who uh, must and are obliged to coordinate rescue, who are the duty bearers. So we have a very, very clear connection between connecting the rights of to asylum refugees with the obligation of states to um, to to rescue them. Now in Cyprus we have routine. When I say routine, I'm talking about more than I mean twenty recorded cases, uh, maybe more. I'm saying routine because a new one could happen any moment. Now what the government has been doing since the first uh, um, uh, pushback 
Uh, in the beginning, they were pushing boats back in the sense that they were not pushing them back outside. They, they were basically pushing them to the north. The territory which the Republic of Cyprus claims, and rightly one would say, uh, to be part of the Republic of Cyprus, which is occupied territory. So they were pushing them to the north, and then this created an outrage and concern about what was going on. So, um, and then some of these boats were actually pushed in international waters or pushed to the north. And since then, what the government has been doing is like made an agreement with, with Lebanon, and it forces people on, 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 on other boats and takes them back to Lebanon. So what it does, in order to avoid being seen as, a, as violating the second right, the right to rescue, is basically what it's basically doing is saying, okay, I will not give you your right to have access to uh, asylum, but I will send you back to where you came from, usually Lebanon, if Lebanon is the only country managed to get uh, such an agreement. If it comes from elsewhere, if it comes from Turkey, or if it comes from a other place, from uh, Syria or whatever, it, it has a problem doing so. Um, although last time it did this in Cabo Greco, which is uh, the very near the, um, the in, in very near from Augusta, one of the persons who tried to escape uh, is reported to have drowned. So there is also the responsibility of that. Secondly, uh, there is a case now pending of a pregnant woman who was forced uh, to stay on a deck uh, all night long uh, before she was taken to hospital, whilst, being, uh, whilst forcing her husband and two other uh, children uh, uh, to leave the country. I'm saying this because what the government is doing is a series of pushbacks in different and, and, and border police deterrence. There are, there are, apart from the, from stopping people from entering a sea, there's actually pushbacks in land as well. Mm. At this moment, for the last five months, there are three people from Cameroon stuck in the buffer zone, not being given access to, um, uh, to uh, asylum and protection. Um, so there are at least four points which we can think of uh, about how uh, pushbacks and border police deterrence are happening. So it's when people try to enter the territory or territorial waters, uh, but then are expelled, which is happening regularly, happening regularly, attempts to enter the territory or territorial waters, but you have no documents, and then again you're refused, again, which is a form of a deterrent. Uh, you enter a territory or the, the territorial seas, but the border guard stops them using force. And the fourth type is an attempt to enter up, but outside the border or outside the territorial waters. And at, at gunpoint, at gunpoint, you're forced to return. Now, all these are instances of violation of the basic uh, uh, rules. Now, what can be done and what is being done? Well, I think... Uh, um, reporting and taking Cyprus, the Republic of Cyprus, to court is one important action that must be taken. Uh, in the same way that Greece is facing court action, Italy and Malta, so should Cyprus. So there should be pressure on them. The sad thing is that although the Commission is making some noise, what is going at the level of, of the Council is different countries which are becoming much more anti-immigrant. There is an anti-immigrant xenophobic bloc uh, and, and they are kind of scratching each other's back, you know. When, so Cyprus is getting support from Poland, for instance, to build a new new camp. Um, and it's getting support from Hungary 
uh, is getting support from these sort of countries, which are not the most democratic countries, to say the least, and are uh, undermining basic uh, international law. So there should be action, complaints to the uh, to the EU, uh, complaints to the UN, uh, action in Cypriot courts, and mass demonstration support. At different, all the strategies together must must work to create conditions for this to happen. I'm not sure whether we whether we can win this in mm. terms of what can be done, but we have to make as much. We have to show the resistance as much as possible, so the government stops acting the way it is. You you raise some very interesting points about how to address these issues legally, mm. but the truth of the matter is that we have a large population in Europe, whether that's the Czech Republic, Poland, Lithuania, or Cyprus, Greece, or Italy. A large percentage of the population that now believes that migration is a problem. Uh, and, and this needs to be addressed from a sociological perspective. How do we then go in and address this? Because these right-wing politicians get their power, they get their support, they get their base, they're empowered by these large populations of people. How do we change the minds of people about this? Because that is the long-term battle to win. There's no magic recipe to address this point. But I think that by appeasing these people, mm-hmm. by appeasing uh, and, and, and trying to run behind xenophobes and racists, we're actually doing exactly what they want us to do. Uh, I think we have to be very, very bold about this. We have to be very, very clear that, yes, migration is, is something that is unsettling. It's, it's, it's like uh, uh, it's something that we have to be, but it's part of our lives. I think what we have to remind people is that we live in post-migrant societies. Post-migrant society means that we're basically in a situation where society has been all societies, at least all Western societies that we know, and most other societies have been transformed as a result of migration already. Uh, they are doing, migrants are doing essential jobs. They are raising kids. I mean, if we look at, if we look at Cyprus, uh, what goes on, the, the first m- migrant uh, from third country that arrived in Cyprus was before accession, before third country migrants existed. So the f- this is back in 1989, 1990. This is 1921. So the, the person born at that time who comes from uh, one of these migrants is already 21, 22 years old. So we have to, first of all, get them to realize that this is not something new, that this is part of their lives already. Society has been transformed. There's no moving back in the situation. And to point out to what is going on in the UK at the moment, the UK is facing the biggest crisis ever in terms of that people remember uh, because of Brexit and they have no lorry drivers to take people to have to fulfill their petrols. And, you know, whatever they do. So the, the, the fact that throw the migrants out, which means a new jobs for the British, which is what uh, uh, Johnson has been saying, has resulted in a massive economic crisis, a massive social crisis, a massive poverty. That's the result of the withdrawal of migrant labor from um, who are from 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 the economy of, of the UK? So that's a very very good concrete example to to get people to think about. The second thing that we could say is that okay, there are new issues emerging. For people who are concerned, for instance, what's going to happen when, uh, when or if 
uh, more like when, uh, after the Taliban uh, consolidated their power, uh, when, when people start leaving from, from that place, uh, and uh, or other crises that are, are kind of uh, uh, brewing in the region that we're seeing, and something has to happen about that. But I think the way to address these sort of concerns is say, okay, we have to prepare society that it's possible. Uh, given where we are now, and if we take Cyprus as an example, we will be facing possible crises. And what, rather than just thinking of how to keep them out, we should be thinking of what do we do next to create conditions whereby if Cyprus is a transit country, to create those conditions for transit currency. And secondly, for those who are here to stay, and many of them are here to stay, how do we create conditions so that they're properly and equally integrated in society? And be very, very clear about the fact that we want them and we need them to be close to us rather than marginalize them and expel them and exclude them. I think that is the way forward for societies. I can speak about Cyprus more with more confidence than I can do speak about other countries, but uh, Cyprus is a small country and, and people are sometimes thinking are fearful of being flooded by migrants, although it's very, very, it's not densely populated as is, as is Malta, for instance, which is about 30 times smaller than Cyprus in terms of geographical size. Um, but I can say with confidence that there is a massive scope for improvement in terms of access, getting these people to access to equal rights, uh, and this will enhance their position and will also enhance the position of Cypriot, Cypriot people working, Cypriot workers who won't find uh, the possibility of facing, for instance, unfair competition uh, for, for also living in a society which is becoming more racist and intolerant. I think this is, has a negative impact on the democracy itself of our country, the quality of our lives, the quality of our democracy depends on how we treat those in weak posi- in a weak position. Uh, so what I'm saying is that we should go on the on the offensive here rather than be defensive and follow and appease uh, the racist society. I think that is the way forward. And also to think of regional solutions. I think if we can participate in in a rethinking of the migration issue is a much wider issue. It's a global issue, but and the answers are primarily regional. So if we think in, at, or in Euro-Mediterranean, for instance, um, um, levels, rather than having uh, strict borders, surveillance, and think in terms of expelling and, and violently uh, closure, closing societies, we should be thinking of processes of integrating economic integration, political integration, development. That's the sort of question we should be thinking about mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, creating conditions for this, uh, for this uh, to happen. In the meantime, make society, so our societies open, democratic, tolerant, and, and, and have a kind of a strong anti, anti-racist uh, um, composition and, and, and structure so that we can address these, these problems. Nico, you talked about uh, the integration policy in Cyprus, or the lack of it. Um, we understand that the new policy has been prepared. Could you perhaps share a little bit more about how is the integration process or the lack of it actually being conducted on the ground in Cyprus? What are we seeing here? What are we hearing on the ground? Has there been changes uh, because of COVID? Well, the, the, the story of integration is, is, is a sad story on Cyprus because... 
Um, we have uh, funds committed to developing such a policy. Uh, there was consultation with different groups. I understand there is a draft and there was, and it was actually presented and it was now, and it's actually now not going to be implemented because uh, some uh, groups and particularly the, the Minister of Interior is not willing to proceed with it. Uh, not that it's the best for policy. I think it's a very problematic uh, policy in any case because the logic of it, instead of accessing rights for migrants, uh, refugees, asylum citizens, etc., what we're seeing there, the logic is to have uh, different governmental institutions absorbing EU funding. Now, wh- what is what is fascinating is that, uh, for instance, some bodies, such as a quality body mm-hmm. of Cyprus, the, um, the ombudswoman uh, who, who runs the show now, uh, doesn't want the funding to even to do that. Uh, our criticism was that, hang on a moment, if we looked at the, the details of the program, uh, she would have to prepare codes that have, I mean, anti-racist codes and all that, which has been already, have already been prepared. And she has decided to remove them from, from the, um, from her website. Uh, but actually, we're, we're told that uh, many of these organizations do not want the funding. Uh, but of course, we have, other institutions, such as local governments, uh, local, local authorities who are desperate for the, such funding. But instead of thinking of how do we best utilize these funds to ensure that people are actually integrated uh, properly, they have equal access, they can participate, they feel they, have, they, they develop a sense of belonging, because that is at the core of, of what integration is about. And it's about accessing rights and being in an equal position to enjoy the benefits of society, what we're seeing here is um, a policy of thinking, what's the best way for the different governmental institutions, such as the police, uh, the ministry, um, this or that ministry, or that authority to to get acts, to get funding, uh, in and not utilize that funding for any other purposes than to fund their own everyday needs. I think that is the wrong way of going about it. It is creating a major problem, and it's also creating the basis for for corruption. I think that that's also something we we, we have to think about about how how best we can utilize this, and, and we need an alliance of NGOs, human rights organizers, as well as uh, people working in different projects to point to the needs. What are the priorities now? for integration in Cyprus. We need an alternative integration strategy for um, those who are genuinely interested about uh, about migrants and asylum seekers and refugees and all those others, inverted commas, who are actually excluded. Um, and, and if we have this, and we include also possible trade unions in the process, um, other organizations, uh, we could see this as part of a, a democratizing process in, in an era of de-democratization. Thank you very much, Nico, for joining us today. We've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, stay tuned. The report will be out in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.